0: Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as Pastor Nate Young delivers this week's message. I just want to say a few things before we get into the sermon. I want to say a big thank you to Peter and Rob, who are our elder candidates. It's an incredible blessing as a pastor to be able to go away and know that God has blessed us with faithful men who can handle the Word of God and preach and bring the Word to you. And so I want to say thank you to them, what a blessing it is to to have them uh, and their willingness to preach and teach. Uh, It was a a great trip. Many of you know that we were gone for the last two weeks. Uh, It was good to spend time with my family. I I love my parents. It was an excellent time with them. Got to do some fun outdoor stuff. Uh, I I have a crazy story to tell. I'm not going to tell it now because I've already told it a bunch of times. But if you want to know about it, you can ask me later. It involves some birds and some wild stuff that was happening. But anyways, uh, I couldn't get it to fit into the sermon. So I'll have to tell it to you later. Uh, it was a good trip. We had a great time with Don and Debbie. That's Kim's parents and getting to spend time with our family there. But can I just tell you, I I missed you guys. Um, I love my biological family. I love my family that I married into. But you guys, you are our church family. And we love you. We missed you. It's so good to be back with you. So uh, thank you for praying for us. Thank you again, Peter and Rob, for filling uh, the pulpit for us. What a blessing that was. This is actually the fourth and final week of Advent. Uh, the first week of Advent, we, we finished our study in Malachi where we learned about the return of Christ when the wicked will be punished and the righteous exalted. That is more about the second Advent. Um, that what we learned from that particular text is that day when he returns, we, we must be ready and waiting for that, that second Advent. And, and then the next week from Peter, we learned from the Passover that what we're waiting for wasn't something but someone, that Jesus is the final Passover lamb that takes away our sins. Last week, we learned how we're to wait for the second coming of Christ. As we celebrate the first advent, how are we as the followers of Jesus Christ to wait for his second advent? We learned that prayer and fasting should mark those that are waiting for the Messiah. But I have wondered, as I was thinking about our particular passage today, that as we're waiting for the second Advent, if sometimes we, we can forget what, what our purpose is in the time that, that we wait, and maybe even, in a sense, we forget the message that we're to be delivering as we wait. Um, so I, I'm going to date myself a little bit, and some of you, you can date yourselves as well. Does anybody remember answering machines? Did you ever have an answering machine in your home? Uh, so kids... Um, There was a time uh, where no one had a phone in their pocket. Everyone, or many people had a phone in their home, and you couldn't take it with you. I mean, you could, but you couldn't make any calls with it while you're away. And back then, you didn't call people like you do now. When you call someone, you're, you're calling them, you're calling their phone that they have on their person. Back then, you would call a place. You would call their house, you would, you would call the business, and if they weren't home, or they didn't want to talk to anybody, they would have this thing called an answering machine. And it was a box that plugged into your phone that you would leave a message on uh, if you wanted them to, to call you back. And I remember as a kid having what, what I call now answering machine anxiety. You would call the house where your friend was or the person you wanted to talk to and you anticipated that they would be home and then the answer machine would kick on. And I hadn't thought about what I was going to say on the answer machine so sometimes the, the message would be just me going like, uh, um, yeah, this is, uh, never mind, and then just hang up. Or I would just hang up as soon as the answer machine kicked on. And I have wondered that that sometimes, maybe in today's day and age, because we haven't thought enough about the message that's been given to us, that we're to deliver to a lost and dying world, if when we're faced with a moment in which we need to deliver the message, that the message is not familiar enough in our minds that we might get a little bit of anxiety about the message that, that we've been given. And and so today, what I want to encourage you with is a reminder of the gospel message, the message of those who are waiting for the second advent of Jesus Christ. What is the the message that, that you and I have to deliver to a world around us, a world that is becoming more and more anti god a world that is more and more against the the principles and the teachings of the Bible, a world in which we might feel more and more oppressed as Christians, what is the clarity of the message that we're to deliver as we wait the second advent of Jesus Christ? And so for our passage today, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles up to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 34. John chapter 1, starting in verse 19, going through 34. Uh, if you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me for a reading from the Word of God. The, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 19, says this And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him then, why are you baptizing, if you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but one stands among you who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal, I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And then the the pinnacle, the key verse of this entire section, verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom the Spirit descends and remains, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. This is a reading from the Word of God. You may be seated. I want to be very clear about something before we launch into this particular passage. Let's be very clear uh, about some connections that I'm going to make. You and I, we are not John the Baptist. Amen, did you know that? You're not John the Baptist. So some connections that I'm going to make in here are by extensions, connections that are made to the church, not to John himself. But in, in many ways, we are to give our testimony of what we know about Jesus Christ. A testimony is to bear witness to something. And and in this case, the miracle of God coming to earth and being born as a baby was so amazing that it was hard to believe. So God provided John the Baptist as a witness to substantiate this reality. In John's case, some priests and Levites were sent by the rulers in Jerusalem to question about who he is. And it's hard to tell if these men who were sent out to find out who John is, if their concern about who he is is real or not. Because at this point, John is starting to draw a following. And if John is a false teacher, the leaders need to know this so they can protect the people from him. So the question of who are you that they pose to John might actually be a genuine question. But more likely than that is they're concerned about their power being taken away. If so many people leave and follow John, this will diminish their power and their prestige. But in this passage, John is going to deny three messianic titles that they attempt to give him. The three titles are Christ, Elijah, and the prophet, and, and each one of these titles has its own significance, and it seems in Jewish thinking of this day, the office of Messiah is not one that would be filled by just one person, but possibly three, and even John's denials are part of his witness about Christ. They first ask John if he is the Christ. This is actually a technical term that refers to the hope for an anointed one, and John says no I am not the Christ then they ask him if he is Elijah And this is a reference back to 2 Kings 2:11 2, uh, turn back over to 2 Kings keep your bible or keep your finger in 1 John but I want you to see this in, in 2 Kings 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 11 you might be familiar with this particular passage But Elijah, at this point, has a protege named Elisha. And at this point, Elijah and Elisha are walking together. And Elisha is about to be the successor to Elijah. And look at verse 11. Look at what it says. As they're walking, they still walked on and talked. Behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into the heaven, and Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. In this particular passage, what we find is that the prophet Elijah doesn't die, but is actually taken up into heaven. This is part of the reason why even when we just learned a few weeks ago in the book of Malachi, in Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6, Elijah seems to always be linked to the eternal Messiah. Because Elijah doesn't die, he's the prophet that brings the message of the king who won't die. Remember in Malachi uh, chapter 4 verses 5 and 6, the prophet Malachi tells the people of Israel, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of their children, or fathers, to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So the Old Testament ends with this understanding that Elijah, who did not die, will return before the Messiah. So, if he is not the Christ, if, if John is not the Christ, maybe then he's Elijah. Maybe he's the one who will deliver this message of the Messiah. What's interesting about this particular title is that Jesus says John is the one who comes in the spirit and power of Elijah, even though John denies it here. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, and Mark chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus says that John is this one that was prophesied about. Mar- uh, Matthew eleven thirteen 13 says, For all the prophets in the law prophesied and tell John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. John. But it's important that we understand what's happening here. As John is asked if he was Elijah, and he says, no, John is so humbled by the role that he plays in God's plan that he doesn't see himself as Elijah, but as a humble servant of the Lord. And it's my concern that for many of us today, we, we see how great God is. We see how majestic he is, and we're, we're humbled by his presence. And in the process of being humbled by his presence, we forget to realize that you, by the design of God, have a specific plan to play in his plan. You have a specific role that he's commissioning you to fulfill. And so my encouragement to you today, brothers and sisters, is to see the role that you play in the plan of God. Now, we can never get enamored with the role that we've been given by God because we didn't earn it. It it was given to us. But at the same time, we need to see the purpose that God has given for our lives by giving us a role in His plan. The third and final messianic title they ask him about is what they call the prophet. This is a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 and 18. It says in Deuteronomy eighteen, fifteen, there's a promise of a new prophet like Moses, and it's Moses who's giving this prophecy. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And then in verse 18 of Deuteronomy 18, he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them that I command him. Acts chapter 3, verse 22, quotes this passage in Deuteronomy and says that the prophet is Jesus. It says in Acts three twenty-two. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet for me like from your brothers. as you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. This prophet in the context is Jesus. But John denies being any and all of these. But John doesn't want to talk about himself. He wants to talk about Jesus. In reference to himself, to answer their question, John quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. This passage in Isaiah looks forward to the moment when God sends his messenger to declare the coming of the Lord. So out of frustration of John's answer, the men who have come to question him switch their questions from John's identity to John's authority. They reason, since John is not any of these three people, then on what authority is he baptizing and why? Is he baptizing? But John, again, doesn't want to talk about himself. He wants to talk about Jesus. He answers them with some amazing words. He says, there is someone among them that you do not know. Here's what he's saying to them. The hidden Messiah is present in Israel. And guess what? He is awesome. He is so awesome, John says, that he, as his messenger, I'm not worthy to untie his dirty, sweaty sandals. I tried to think of a way to illustrate this for us. The the only thing that I could come up with is um, I, I, I like to watch sports. I haven't watched a lot of sports this year but one of the things that I notice after sporting events that, is that people will, will stand by the areas in which the athletes leave, and they hope that the athlete will take off their jersey and throw it to them. And I have always thought that's kind of gross, because it's, it's covered in sweat and blood, I've seen guys blow their nose in their jersey, uh, all kinds of weird things. But their adoring fans want nothing more than for them to acknowledge their presence and and throw their dirty, stinky jersey to them. And, And let me just say, friends, There is no athlete, there is no person, there is no being that has ever existed that is as glorious and wonderful as Jesus. To simply be in his presence and to have the privilege to untie his shoe, to touch him would be the greatest honor of any of our lives. But brothers and sisters, Jesus has a greater plan for you and me than carrying his shoes. Look at verse 31. John says, God sent him for a specific purpose. And God has done the same thing for us. Remember how the gospel of Matthew ends? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, if, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he has a specific plan for your life. We are now the messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that God has you in the family, in the job, in the neighborhood that you are in to continue to carry the message of Jesus Christ. But God didn't leave us to try and guess what his message is. Even in this text, he tells us, that we can know what the message about Jesus is to be. So I want to encourage you to take some clear notes in your Bible in this particular passage and and highlight some, uh, some of these main ideas as the gospel, the message that we are to give, is very clearly given to us by John for us to continue to pass on. Look with me, if you would, in verse 30 of chapter 1. John says at the beginning of verse 30, he's going to relate to us that Jesus Christ is human. In verse 30, he says, this is he of whom I said, speaking about Jesus, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Part of the message about Jesus is that he was fully and truly man. John has already set out to explain this uh, just a few verses previous. If you'll just look up a few verses in John chapter one, verse 14, it says, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us." The word here I'm going to explain this a little bit more uh, later, is talking about Jesus. It's saying that Jesus himself became flesh. And this is actually, though, a truth that many people don't deny. They're, they're okay with Jesus just being a man or okay with being Jesus just being kind of a type of man, but, but not really. But, but let me just say to you, brothers and sisters, Jesus isn't like vegan food. And this is not a diss on vegans, but vegans and vegetarians take a lot of vegetables and mash them up and make them look at hamburger patties and sausages and and all kinds of other meats. But Jesus isn't something that was smashed up into one thing to look like another. Jesus is the true human form. He is not just sort of a human He is human. He takes on human flesh. And here's something that that you should think about for a little while. He never gives up his humanity. At his death, burial, and resurrection, he doesn't stop being a human at that point. And this is actually a really crucial truth about Jesus. Jesus. Because if Jesus was not fully human, and is not fully human, then he could not live a perfect life as a human to be a perfect sacrifice as a human for us as humans. That means that there is no atonement for our sin by one who is like us. And if he is not a human, this has implications for his ministry on our behalf now. If you're familiar with Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16, and and there I am sure there is someone here today that needs to hear this truth, because there are often times that in our suffering we can feel very alone. We can feel that no one knows how to sympathize with us. But listen to these verses, brothers and sisters. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. That means that Christ's humanity causes him to sympathize with our lives because he's lived like us. And this motivates us to draw near to the throne of the great high priest who from his throne gives out grace and mercy to his fellow humanity. We see John tells us that not only is Jesus human he is also eternal. Look at me, well, look with me at the second half of verse 30. It says, verse 30, let's read the whole thing together again. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, or ranks, yes, before me, because he was before me. Now again, John has already began to explain this idea that Jesus was before him. Even though John would have been born before Jesus, he says Jesus comes before him. He, he does this in verse 2 of the same chapter. Look, just a few verses above in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 2, he says, he was in the beginning with God. This Jesus that is now born in a manger, born as a baby, existed before his birth. He describes, John describes this time in eternity past when nothing existed but God. Before anything was created, he, Jesus, was there with God. And now this is where many people start to have a hard time with Jesus. They can deal with Jesus the man, but Jesus, an eternal being that existed before anything in the known world came into being, this is hard to understand, let alone believe. But this is part of the message that we carry with us to a lost and dying world. That even though we die, even though the world around us is dying, the Savior of the universe cannot die. He existed before the beginning of time, and he will exist past the end of time. See, John tells us that not only is Jesus human, and that Jesus is eternal, He is also one with God the Father and God the Spirit. Look at verses 32 through 34 with me. John testifies to what he saw here at the baptism of Jesus at the time when he saw the Holy Spirit descend and remain on Jesus. This was Jesus' anointing for his public ministry. It was meant to show the permanence of Christ possessing the Holy Spirit and his dispensing of the Holy Spirit, which will become more clear in a few verses. But in verse 33, we see all three persons of the Godhead together. John said that there was one who sent him to baptize. This is God the Father. And the one who sent him said to look for the Spirit to descend and remain. So now you've got the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit will descend on the one who will baptize with the Spirit and not just water, and that is the Son. So now we have the Father, the Spirit, and the Son all together. John in verse 34 tells us that the one that the Spirit descends on was the Son of God. So now we have God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. To make this difficult teaching on what's often referred to in theology as the Trinity, to make it more understandable, John at the beginning of his gospel explained the oneness of God, even though there are three persons that make up this one God. Look again with me at chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Greek word, word here, is the word logos. This word is used to describe Jesus. So John is telling us not only is Jesus eternal, Jesus is God. Jesus reveals himself to be God many times in the New Testament. One place is in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let me encourage you to turn a few pages over to Mark chapter 2, Uh, We're going to look at a few verses there. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is a a story of where Jesus heals a a paralytic man. This is the story where uh, a, a man is being carried by his friends, four of his friends. And the crowd's very large to see Jesus. Many people want to see him. And they can't get their friend close to Jesus. And so they go up on top of the house where Jesus is, they take apart the roof, and they lower him down into the house. And look at verse 5, chapter 2 of Mark, the gospel of Mark, verse 5. It says, "'And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" And some of the scribes, these are the Bible guys, were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. And listen to their words. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived this in his spirit, that they thus questioned within themselves. He says to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, Take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Even in this moment, these scribes who almost don't want to believe that Jesus is the Messiah can't deny the fact that Jesus is God. But Jesus tells us, or John tells us, that not only is Jesus human, not only is he eternal, and not only is he one with God the Father and God the Spirit. Jesus Christ is the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. In verse 29 of John chapter 1, we see Jesus walking towards John. And as Jesus walks toward John, John exclaims this Behold, look gaze upon the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world and this phrase should immediately take you back to exodus 12 when the passover lamb was sacrificed to protect the people of israel or to genesis 22:8, when abraham foreshadows the coming of christ when he says god will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering my son and as God provides the ram and the thicket, the symbol of Jesus Christ is presented. Or to that great passage in Isaiah 53, verses 6 and 12, which says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the... St- the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressor. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. But this lamb of God is different than that Passover lamb or the lamb that God provided in the place of Isaac. John echoes Isaiah when he tells us that this lamb comes to bear the massive guilt of our sin. That all the sacrifices of all the lambs in the Old Testament were just a foreshadowing of what was perfectly fulfilled in the sacrifice of Christ. And John illustrates this by referring to the innocence and mildness of a lamb. And this is meant to off, uh, emphasize not only Christ's suffering in our place, but the fact that He does it willingly. This sin part is what makes Christ the perfect sacrifice unlike the lambs that were sacrificed daily. Those lambs did not willingly go to their death. But Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, goes to His death willingly in our place. This is the greatest message the world has ever known. That God became a man, and not just any man, but a man that is eternal, who is truly God, co-equal with God the Father and God the Spirit this man is the sacrificial lamb that takes away our sin by his sacrifice on the cross. And, and when we see these truths, we are simply left with the question, how should we then respond? Let me give you two responses to these particular truths. One, brothers and sisters, we should live with excited anticipation of the second advent of Christ. We should do so in prayer and fasting, striving together, while declaring the message of the Lamb of God. I mentioned it before, but oftentimes, the holidays aren't so happy I'm usually very happy during the holidays until January 2nd. Thanksgiving's over, Christmas is over, New Year's is over. And just to be clear, I just thought of this, I'm not unhappy on January 2nd because I drink on New Year's Eve. You guys know that, right? Like I'm not hung over on the 2nd, just to be clear. But I wake up the second, and it's cold. Maybe there's some snow on the ground, and it seems like the fun is over. But let me just declare to you, despite our circumstances, we can have the joy of the Lord burning bright in us as we look back on the first advent, the first coming of Christ, and we look forward to when he will come again. We wait with prayer and fasting while we declare the message of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We get so busy this time of year with all the things that are going on that we can rush by celebrating the only thing that really matters. So let me encourage you this week as we prepare for Christmas Sunday to pause throughout each day and worship the Lamb and share His message with those around you. This is part of your purpose given to you by God. But here's the second response to these truths. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the response that that you need to have at this point is to come to the Lamb of God in repentance and have your sins taken away. During the Christmas season, it's become normal for us to give gifts to each other. Some gifts we receive are going to be better than others. But there is a gift that is being offered to you right now. And you don't have to wait until Christmas to open it. This is the gift of salvation. Christ paid for this gift with his blood, and he is freely offering it to you right now. And all you have to do is come to him in repentance. And repentance is confessing to God that you are a sinner, that you have broken his law, that you have done things against him and turn away from your sin as you turn to Christ. And in this free gift of salvation, Christ has promised to forgive you of your sins and bring you into his family as a child of God. And so if you are here today and you do not know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, can I encourage you to come to the land of God, a Lamb of God, that in a moment when we pray, that, that you would pray and ask him to take away your sins? But brothers and sisters, let me encourage you this excitement that we can have over the truth that the lamb of god is going to return for his children that he has paid the price for our sins and he has commissioned you to carry that message through this holiday season into next year should be as such an encouragement and an emboldening to you to do the purpose and plan of god to carry the message as we wait for his second return let's Pray together and ask the Lord to help us do that even today. Lord, we are so thankful for these incredible truths about Jesus Christ. That this baby in a manger is so much more than just a baby. He is God. He is human, but He is also eternal. And He is united in perfect harmony with you and the spirit lord thank you for these miraculous truths that have been unveiled to us today lord help us to remember and hold on to these truths as we move through and navigate this holiday season may we carry the message that you've delivered to us to a lost and dying world lord we know because of jesus christ even though things look very bleak around us There is hope. There is hope in the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Lord, I'm asking you at this time, only you can save sinners. Only you can draw them to yourself. And so I'm asking that you would do that. If there is anyone who is present today or anyone who's listening online that does not know you, would you, by the power of your Spirit, draw them to yourself today? We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus, amen.